Greetings, everybody, and welcome to Brace. On today's episode, we discuss Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. We go deeper into how Twitter has influenced the world, how Elon Musk and his companies have influenced the world, our thoughts on free speech and the censorship of free speech, our predictions of the wrongdoings going on at Twitter, and much more. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Brace. On today's episode, Paul and I will be talking about Elon Musk and his takeover of Twitter. So, Paul, what were your initial thoughts as he started, uh, as it was released that he was the majority shareholder, well, not majority shareholder, but he was the largest shareholder? It was interesting, yeah. He took over the, I think it was 9.2%. That only became public because he had to file with the SEC. My initial thought was, oh man, this is actually happening. Because I, I remembered maybe three weeks earlier when he had put out a poll on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter, as our listeners from the first episode may know. He put out a poll saying Twitter is the de facto town square. Being that that's the case, it's very important that they strictly adhere to free speech principles. How well do you think they do that? And it was like, you know, do, or do they do that really well? Yes or no? And it was like 70% said no. So when I saw that, I, I thought, oh my gosh, he's actually making a play for it. Uh, and then they said, oh, he's going to have a board seat. And I thought, okay, cool. Maybe he can make some changes, but like kind of probably not. So at that point I was like, ah, I'm still never going to have a Twitter account. And then <laughs> things changed. And, you know, he said, we're, you know, here's my actual offer, $54 and 20 cents a share. And when that actually ended up going through about a week ago now or, or being accepted, I was really excited because I definitely know that there is, you know, we were, we were talking about oligarchy in regards to Russia and how there's a, an elite over there that owns most industry and has most of the wealth. And it's not as much talked about here, but there absolutely is a ruling class uh, in, in oligarchy that, you know, can basically hold the levers of communication between people in the 21st century here. And so having For someone sure. that has said free speech is super important to me as taking over one of those platforms, man, I was all for it. Uh, what was your, you know, initial response when you when you heard about all that? Well, I'm just a really big fan of Elon Musk and kind of the innovation and engineering that he's doing in kind of multiple facets. And so I like to I like to follow and see what he's doing, right? And finding out he had a large stake in the company initially. I, I, di I didn't really think of it as like, oh, he's going to take it over. Like he's going to buy it outright. I just thought he was going to try and influence the board, try and, you know, make a few adjustments here and there. But when I heard, you know, he made the full offer, I was like, oh, shit. And uh, it just kind of got me excited. I think Elon's kind of like the Batman or Iron Man of our world. He's the only billionaire really doing fun, exciting, crazy stuff and influencing the world. Yes, I would agree with parts of that for sure. I'd say that Jeff Bezos is definitely having his fair share of fun too, just, you know, going up to space and, and doing stuff that he wants to do. So Yeah, but he's like a lame version of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean like I don't know, his rocket just doesn't it look kinda like a uh yes. like an Austin yes, Powers does. uh, uh it's somewhat they're, they're all looking up <laughs> Indeed. I uh, just think Elon's way more entertaining. What has made me a fan of Elon as a entrepreneur, which isn't true among the billionaire class that catches headlines other ways, whether it's, you know, Bloomberg or Zuckerberg or Bezos or Bill Gates, none of them seem to have a positive vision for the future that I'm excited about. 
But when Elon Musk talks about being a space-bearing civilization and being able to transform to, you know, almost 100% renewables and being able to transform people's lives with the technology that, in a, in a sense, we were promised, in a sense, this new century led us to believe we were going to have, like the ability for someone who was fully paralyzed to regain function in, you know, their limbs. The fact that he's pursuing all of these ventures at the same time and trying to change the course of humanity for all of them uh, makes me excited. And then, you know, when he sees an issue and he decides to take it on, I know that it's probably a pretty significant issue in his mind in order for him to do that, because I think he sees himself as an, an extremely valuable resource that should be used to the fullest extent possible. So when he sees the problem of the lack of free speech available and then says, you know what, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm excited that, you know, the person that has the vision to try and solve all these other problems is going to solve that one too. And as a little aside, I think it's hilarious that one of the biggest reasons that this happened, you can, you know, quote me on this and I don't know if he's explicitly said it, <laughs> but one of the biggest reasons he decided to do this is because Twitter banned the Babylon Bee, which is a, a satire, a, a right-wing satire account for calling a transgender general the man of the year. And, you know, <laughs> so Twitter said, nope, that's hate, hate speech. You're not allowed to say that. Uh, you're banned. And that's that's dead naming. That's not that's not didn't okay. didn't say a name. Didn't even technically oh, okay. call. <laughs> no, I think they called her the right name, him, the right name, whatever. Rachel Levine. Oh, the general. OK. Uh, said Rachel Levine is the man of the year. All of that is to say, when a significant, when probably the majority of the population looks at that person and says, yeah, that's that's still, you know, that person fathered children. Yeah, that's a, that's a man. And you get banned from the de facto public square for saying that. You know, I think Elon Musk saw that. And th this was only about a month and a half after Elon went and sat down with those guys and had a, you know, a little interview, which was pretty hilarious to watch. I think that it's, pretty clear that that had an influence on him saying, you know what? No, if these guys can't even talk, you know, where did it end? Did you know about that at all? I, I've heard about it. I, I wouldn't say I'm well-versed in all the uh, ongoings, okay. but yeah, I, I was aware that kind of the Babylon B getting banned was, was the final straw in the, in the cap. The straw that, or the something that broke the camel's back. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Something like you, that. Do you know what a, a mixed uh, mixing your metaphors is called? What that concoction is oh is there a, is there a, a word for that there is it's called a malifor oh interesting you learn something new every day Gosh, I love uh, you said that elon you're a big elon fan because of the innovation and in engineering that he's doing so just we're talking assuming everybody kind of knows everything but in terms of the projects that he's doing or, or his vision for the future what really uh, energizes you the most or is, is really the most exciting? I think SpaceX is the most exciting to me. My dad has worked at NASA his entire life, so that idea of space and science fiction, that's always intrigued me. And it makes a ton of sense that if the, you know, one of the most expensive parts of getting people into space is the rockets, that you'd probably want to make them reusable. And maybe that just seems, well, yeah, of course. But I think there's a lot of engineering and understanding that goes into that and trial and error as well. I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he, when he 
you know, funded SpaceX or kind of founded SpaceX. Uh, he had enough funds to do three launches, and I think the first two blew up. And I think to to continue pushing on after a few failures of that magnitude is just inspiring. And also, I think the the idea of being a multiplanetary species is also intriguing to me. And again, I think it's just my uh, my deep fascination of sci-fi and the idea of conquering the universe. Maybe not conquering, but exploring the universe. Do you think that given the opportunity, you would take a one-way ticket to Mars? Ooh. See, I've I've asked that question and I've also thought about it a lot. I think it depends on where I am in my life. If I've already had children, seen them grow up, I think then I'd be I'd be down to do it. Got it. I think it just okay. kind of leaves a legacy of someone willing to to step out and volunteer to to not be coming back. Yeah. And I think uh, I think there's some excitement and, I don't know, energy there. Something about exploring the unknown or, you know, conquering a frontier, which it feels kind of impossible to do today on Earth. I mean, I, in, unless you're able to have the funding to do some submarine stuff, which allows you to go in places in the ocean that people haven't been. You know, every, pretty much every mo- mountain's been conquered, every slice of land's been found, so it's it's hard to do that. But the idea of the vastness of space still being a frontier that we can explore, that also gets my mind going, I agree. I don't know that I would ever do the whole one-way ticket thing. I think that I hope to die on Earth. <laughs> as funny <laughs> as that sounds. But... Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thought. I've definitely thought about it as well. I don't know. It would just be it'd be so interesting to to be there problem solving and like figuring out how to get other people there, how to make it sustaining. Oh, what's that? Oh, the Martian. That's that's the one I'm thinking about. I've only seen the that, movie. Oh, you've only gosh, the book's so much better. You know what? I've heard that before, <laughs> once or twice. I think that's, you know, what people who read say, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased. Anyways, that that book is exciting in so many different ways because it's you know, disaster after disaster and how to solve that problem. And I don't know, again, the sci-fi going into space. Oh, it's just so cool. Star Trek and Star Wars. and I mean, we're so small compared to the vastness of the universe. We're one planet rotating around one star, you know, in in one galaxy, in billions of galaxies. Like, there, we know nothing. We know nothing, Jon Snow. You are right. The vastness of space is uh, monumental, and it's pretty much unfathomable. So I do, I appreciate his cosmic uh, mindset to think one of the quotes he has is, you know, Earth is 4.5 billion years old, universe about 13 billion years old. In about 500 million years, another half a billion years, our sun is going to become a red giant. It's going to and it's going to eliminate all life on Earth, right? So uh, if, you know, it took us 4.5 million uh, billion years in order to develop into who we are, so if consciousness had taken 10% longer, it would never have developed at all. And so that idea, you know, he says, I want to make us a multi-planetary species so that in the event of a planetary catastrophe that wipes out all life, our species will continue. And just thinking on that scale, it makes the Bernie Sanders of the world saying, oh, those millionaires and billion, well, it's only billionaires now because he's a multimillionaire, <laughs> but makes them, you know, wagging their finger at the rich and saying, you're all evil because there's people that are poor and it's your fault because you're rich. So clearly you did something wrong. It's like, no, he he has helped change the tra- tra- trajectory of history significantly and could change the trajectory of the universe. 
And that, that idea that one person is capable of that is a wonderful one, and I really enjoy it. And in that sense, to try to reel us back a little bit to Twitter and, and why we're talking about him today, the fundamental precepts of our nation of being based on free speech principles and that everyone has the right to say their piece and let them be rebutted, let the conversation happen so that the best idea can win out, that has definitely been lost where the conversation was transferred from mostly person to person and mostly broadcasted in different formats to now everyone has the opportunity to broadcast all the time. That change to the internet platform, we weren't ready for it in terms of laws. We weren't ready for it in terms of standards uh, and, and how to treat these companies that now have the ability to say, yes, you can speak. No, you cannot. And Elon recognizing that and say, this is a, a fundamental threat to the trajectory of the world as we're living in it today. And, and I think we have some examples we can talk about here in terms of elections and, and how things have gone. It's really awesome to have the richest person in the world say, no, free speech is fundamental. We got that part right. Let's not screw that up here in the transition to the next mode of technology. One thing I wanted to bring up as I was, you know, chatting with others about this topic and what people thought, one interesting thought that came up was, hey, you know, what is this whole Elon buying Twitter thing? How is that about free speech? I thought free speech was uh, the government stopping people from speaking. And my rebuttal to that was, well, if there are government entities dictating what can or can't be said on private companies or you know them having meetings and oh you're gonna need to take this down or can't have that sort of misinformation it kind of leads us into into two stories that i think you wanted to bring up both the uh disinformation governance board is that the one Yes. Let me, let me say yes. that again. Misinformation Governance yes, Board. The Disinformation Governance Board, a subsection of the Department of Homeland Security. That is one of the most, well, to be direct, the most Orwellian terms uh, that has come out. And a lot of people are calling it the Ministry of Truth because that's what it was called in 1984. And parts of the administration, the White House that have that put this out, are saying, of course, yes, we're worried about Twitter, but this is something we've been worried about for a long time. There's really no precedent, once again, in, in free countries for the government dictating what is true and what is false. And I think anyone who's been paying attention to anything for any amount of time can see where that can be very dangerous. How did you hear about that, and, and what were your thoughts? And I know you had one other thing that you wanted to, to bring up. Oh, I was just also going to talk about uh, the Hunter Biden uh, laptop and how if there's a concerted effort to keep that away or you know hide it, not let people see that story, uh, that can influence elections, influence who is running our society. And you know it's it's curious that you know after that was proven to be a, a real story. Uh, and something that did happen that, you know, not, now they want to make sure that there's a, a board or a, a governance that can say what's what's true and what's false. Um, but anyways, I, I think I had just heard about that listening to podcasts. And it was really, you know, kind of what people were saying about it. Oh, it's, you know, like 1984, the Ministry of Truth. It, it does not seem good. And it seems totally unconstitutional. And I don't, I don't think there's any way that It'll actually happen. I agree. I think it'll it'll be shut down uh, very soon, and I, and I think that the overreach by the federal government in this area 
is really a, a dangerous thing and and that a, a lot more people are are kind of seeing that after everything that we saw throughout covid of you know the the idea of disinformation becoming really mainstream as part of the the talking points about anti-vax positions and you know uh disinformation about the vaccine and disinformation about masks and disinformation about all this stuff that the government was telling you was true. So I think most people, you know, had some sort of awakening there, having their eyes open to how the media and the government are intermingling here in order to get the messaging across to you that they want to get across and to try to dissuade you from looking at any other options. Uh, and yeah, I think the, you know, you brought up the, the, the New York Post story of, you know, unveiling the, the Hunter Biden laptop and what was on it, which it absolutely blows my mind. There still hasn't been uh, any special prosecutor brought on for no special investigation, anything like that, when it pretty directly shows um, that a Hunter Biden was receiving money from foreign enter entities for his influence, for the fact that he has his father's ear while his father was the vice president of the United States. Uh, and that... And they both shared a bank account. Don't forget about that. They shared a bank account, and also Hunter explicitly was told that he had to pay these certain bills that were normal, just housing bills that Joe had. So, you know, even if, you know, there was a whole other side story of, you know, keep 10% for the big guy and the big guy is supposedly Joe Biden. We don't even have to go down that rabbit hole because we can prove that Hunter's money was gotten through, you know, corruption and then that he was paying Joe Biden's bills. So those two things alone are impeachable offense. And we're sitting here post the first president ever who got impeached twice you'd think that a Congress would be pretty impeachment happy, especially there was impeachment over Ukraine for, for President Trump. And, you know, it was it was Joe Biden's son that sat on the board of the Ukrainian energy company, which, you know, makes you kind of scratch your head with everything going on now in Ukraine saying, well, a lot of the things going on at that time were Russian pipelines being built through Ukraine in order to get the Russian oil to Europe. So why did the vice president's son, you know, get that $500,000 a year salary. I don't, I don't remember what it was. It might've been a month. It was a lot. It was a real lot of money to sit on a board of an energy company when he's most well known for having a child with a stripper and generally being addicted to cocaine. So it, it's just really amazing. And the studies that were done post-election brought that story to voters and said, here's the information. Who did you vote for? And of Joe Biden voters, 16% said having that knowledge would have made them either change their vote or not vote for him in general, which is way more than the margin of his victory. So it really shows you the fact that this story was stopped by Twitter. You couldn't even direct message it. It wasn't that this post, you know, it's not that you just have to click through the quick little firewall because, oh, you know, it's harmful images or whatever. Google... Facebook, all of these powerful companies that decide what information gets through said no, two weeks before an election, this information is not getting through. So I think that's why 
when I look at Elon Musk buying this, I say, oh, dang, there's a chance that we can have open communication post 2020. And, and I don't know if I believed that before. Yeah, I, uh, I I guess one thing I'm concerned with is, of course, the disinformation board, because it seems like they want to fight back in order to start regulating what can be said in private companies, uh, which is, you know, it, it seemed like what they were always saying, oh, well, it's a private company, right? That's what that's what you conservatives always say. You know, they can do what they want. And it's like, well, there's a difference between a local store doing doing something versus a hundreds of millions of people platform where news channels are posting tweets from the president in order to show what's going on in the world right like twitter is is too big right now for there to be censorship and you know we we've seen what it's done getting rid of certain stories getting rid of certain people I think it'll be interesting to see what's uncovered when Elon actually takes Twitter. Have you thought about that at all? Yes. One thing that I have heard, uh, first of all, on what you were saying there before, I think that's an interesting and important part of the discussion because that has been ongoing. And that was something that uh, a lot of you know right-leaning people thought that when Donald Trump was in office and he had a friendly um, Congress that he was going to take care of. It was the debate of Section 230 in the Communication Decency Act talking about these social media companies. Are they a publisher like the New York Times who can decide, you know, what articles get written and which ones get published and which ones do not? Or are they a platform like, you know, Verizon where, you know, when you pick up a phone and call halfway through a call, you don't say the wrong thing and the line goes dead and it says, sorry, your post has been fact-checked and, you know, you're cut off. <laughs> uh, so the question is, they have been under the, um, the protections of a platform that says, you know, anybody can, you know, we are, we are hands off here, so you can't sue us if, if something that, you know, uh, is said on here is wrong. But they have been administering their policies about content moderation like they're a publisher saying, eh, fact check, that one's wrong or, oh, no, sorry, violated our standards for, for disinformation or doxing. I forget what the reason that Twitter claimed at the time for not allowing that New York Post story, but it was complete BS. It's been you know 100% proven true at this point. Um, Matt Gates tried to enter the contents of the laptop on the congressional record. Uh, Democrats blocked that. Don't know the details on why that they actually provided, but good for them for at least uh, walking in in lockstep on everything. But that idea. So of, go ahead. Sorry, I was I was just going to say getting getting the best of both worlds, right? Not not being responsible for what people say, but also making that decision that oh well, you can't say this. Exactly. So it's a yeah. Yeah. And what you you had a, a good question for me that I kind of went back to what you were talking about. What was that question? The question I had posed to you was, what do you think Elon will find when he takes over Twitter? Thank you. What sort of backroom, backroom dealings have been going on in the code, maybe? So I think you may have heard of Joe Rogan's two million new followers that he gained as soon as, you know, the week of it becoming public that Elon was going to get it. There is a common conception, the same thing I think Ben Shapiro gained uh, 200,000 followers in a day. 
even some of the lesser ones were gaining huge percentages of their total following in the days following. And the idea was, oh, there's this not exactly shadow banning, not exactly anything, but just a, a light suppression of certain people because of their viewpoints and the fact that the elites in the society do not want those messages getting to new people. They understand if, you know, you're on Twitter and you're following Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro already, you're, you're a lost cause, right? You're, you're a, a, a deplorable. So there, there's nothing that can be done. But those people gained huge amounts of followers. It was thought that perhaps, oh, um, you know, they're burning the evidence, if you will. They're going through and they're unsuppressing the things that were suppressed so that, you know, when Elon does take over in six months, by the way, I believe it was uh, told to Twitter employees that everyone would have job security through Oct- the end of October, something like that. So, mm. you know, it's a $44 billion transaction. It's not going to go through tonight. You know, right. there's going to be some time. Uh, over that time, I think that Twitter is going to do everything it can to avoid possible governmental action in the future. And that includes, I mean, Elon has tweeted multiple times saying things like sunlight is the best disinfectant. So I do think that whatever (laughs) is out there, he's going to um, reveal. And I think, you know, he's already made the promise that he's going to change the algorithm so that it's open source so people can see how it works. And that, you know, his standard, his moderation practice will be uh, if you violate the law, it gets taken down. If you don't, it doesn't. And I, it's not going to be exactly like that because he said he's planning on trying to piss off the far left and the far right equally. So about ten <laughs> percent of the you know of the people on the right side and ten percent of the people on the left side will be equally mad. But to maximize the area under the curve uh, for you know dialogue in, in a healthy society. And I'm, I'm hell yeah, integrals. Exactly. Like this is where they said we're never going to use math, and here Elon is talking about the area under the curve. Like I'm here oh for it, gosh. you know. Oh yeah. As us engineering nerds, you know, we're just we're <laughs> here for the math jokes from Elon. But yeah, I mean, that is most of what I wanted to talk about when it came to the, just the the Twitter side of things. What have we missed that you can think of? Oh, um, another thing. Twitter has done, right? Um, Permabans, permanently banning individuals that have breached their code of conduct or said something, you know, that people didn't like. I can I can think of one right off the top of my head. I, I believe he was the previous president of the United States. Who would that possibly be? Wait, are you talking about Donald, Donald Trump? Yeah, that's the one. Are you talking about when they banned him while he was still sitting as the leader of the free world? I think there are plenty of people that would disagree with that title for each of the last, for the current president and for the previous president. Well, fair enough. So it's, it's sad, but I think that you would go back and say, wow, uh, president of the United States isn't necessarily always. In fact, I saw a pretty good joke by a comedian saying, if, uh, you know, the aliens land tomorrow and they say, take me to your leader, we're taking them to Elon, right? Like that's clearly, <laughs> that's clearly the case. But yeah, permabans, that's, that's an interesting one because that's, what does that make you? That makes you an, a permanent outcast from the town square. So if you are never allowed to talk, never allowed to speak, you know, when is that appropriate? Because I think, you know, we, we, 
there are a certain number of people that we throw in jail and throw away the key right because they've done things that are so detrimental to society and you know they they break with our standards so deeply so is it you know is is there no case for that no i think there's there's probably a case for that but yeah how how do you think he'll handle that well i don't know if it was necessarily him but i i know there was discussion at one point of you know kind of like a uh, a way to come back path. maybe it's a year ban yeah. yeah a path to forgiveness or something like that i feel like that would be something worth doing i guess kind of to make the comparison right people have you know a 20 year sentence they've done their time they're now allowed back into society but again right there are people that go for life sentences and i don't know if this necessarily relates but i was going to say what's the issue with someone saying something you don't like and then you just blocking them and you just not having to see what they're posting that's something that confuses me right like i'm going to go complain and report about you why don't you just block and keep scrolling why do you get to choose what other people can see right like to me that kind of seems like you're infringing on other people's ability to discuss and have that opportunity to to learn and see what other people are saying well and that's that is what i think is the most important to me is whether you're you know very extremist left and you're a a um a black Hebrew Israelite, or if you're a very far, very far right, and you're a white supremacist, you know, neo-Nazi, either way, those are terrible ideas. And if you go to the town square and try to espouse them, you're going to be met with a lot of vitriol. You're going to be met with a lot of people saying your ideas are terrible. However, there might be, like we, we talked about in one of the previous uh, episodes, I think his name was, what is it, Daryl Dawkins? Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis, thank you. You know, uh, a black man that went and went to KKK meetings and sat in and met the leaders and tried to shake their hands and tried to have conversations with them. And so if, if you take all the black Hebrew Israelites and you say, no, you're, you're too extreme, get off of Twitter, and you take all the, the neo-Nazis and say, no, you're too extreme, get off of Twitter, now they don't have anyone normal to talk to. They can only go to the, you know, the... The further extremes. Yeah, the fringes of the internet to go talk to people that only agree with them, that only radicalize them further, when the idea of free speech is the best idea wins. And if you look across time, we've been really successful with that over time. And only with the su suppression of, of speech in the last... 20 years or so, we have start to see some regression and some additional radicalization and polarization uh, in the in the political dialogue. And I think a big part of that is that we're not letting the best opinions win anymore. We are, you know, we're not allowing the conversation to happen. Um, there is, you know, from an oligarchy, from a uh, elite few who get to pull the strings, we have the we are told what is true and what is false what is right and wrong and, and in that format you know nobody will ever uh be convinced to change their opinion from the radical wrong opinion that they have because they aren't they aren't allowed in the conversation and, and especially with how we've seen that line move over the past say you know maybe since pre-2016 election to today i think there's no doubt that what first of all the political conversation has changed a lot we weren't talking about some of the issues then that we're talking about today and so when the acceptable speech 
changes in that time too. It says, okay, you know, my question is why are we increasing the total number of people that don't have opinions that are okay for society? Because the, the people really haven't changed that extremely in that time, but it seems like the content policies have. So I think that overall permaban is a bad solution because if someone is doing something so egregious that they should be permanently banned, it, as a minimum, it should be because of breaking the law. Like they're doing, they're inciting violence, they are threatening, they are doing one of these things that we already have on the books that you're going to go to jail for. Right. So let them go to jail, let them serve their time, maybe it rehabilitates them. Do, do you agree with that? I think so. I, I think that makes sense. And one other comparison I wanted to make, you know, kind of with allowing these people, allowing individuals on on the extreme on both sides to be in the conversation you know, you don't change someone's mind by saying, hey, F you, you stupid idiot, right? Like, now it's, there's no way to change their mind, right? But if you are kind and you say, listen, I, I don't agree with you, but I'm willing to listen and and discuss, right? I think you have a higher likelihood of being able to change someone's opinion. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And um, ad hominem attacks just, you know, attacking the person for being who they are rather than telling them why the opinion that they're holding isn't the best one that they can have. It never changes anybody's minds. And it seems like, and it's, to me, it's so interesting that Twitter is the platform that is undergoing this potential uh, free speech revolution. Because to me, it was very clearly the most, you know, vitriolic format that we had come up with for social media. I mean, you know, you have, I think you have 280 characters now, whatever it is, you have to package your idea in a tiny amount of, of, you know, thought and then send it out to the world. And so, and what got the most engagement, what the algorithm built was, oh, anger is a really good, it, it drives engagement. So we're going to show people the stuff that makes them angry. So then we get a bunch of pissed off responses to whatever is being put out there. And like you said, you know, you don't change your mind because of someone screaming at you. You change your mind because someone gives you something you haven't thought of that way before. And, you know, you, you reconsider and it makes you say, okay, maybe I was wrong on this in the past. Um, and I think the other thing is that, first of all, do you have any thoughts on, on that, what I just said, when it comes to Twitter as a format? Oh, I mean, I, I don't have a Twitter right now. If there are, you know, positive changes, I might think of getting getting it back just to be in the loop. But I would say that just words, written words, can be misinterpreted so much. Even, you know, verbal dialogue can be misinterpreted based on, oh, well, I think this word means that oh, well, that word means something else, right? And I think that just gets even messier when it's just written word. I think I remember being on Twitter and, you know, having having a few arguments and it was like, we didn't, we didn't even understand, you know, the definition of some of the words that we were trying to use. Now, okay, maybe I, maybe I said that odd, but what I mean is we were not on the same page of what we were even trying to discuss. Right. And I think just the written word, you know, I think there's a higher likelihood that that can happen. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and when it comes to the conversations that you're having, when it's divisive issues, often you're using the same word, but but do have completely definite different definitions for, for what it means. And that's one thing that liberals do very well is, is they find the way to make their words 
sound as good as possible for the argument that they're making. So, you know, I think the first episode we talked about court packing a little bit. When you look at the abortion argument, it's it's pro-choice. It's, you know, there, there's a lot of different cases, you know, a clump of cells being, you know, whatever it is. I don't, I, abortion is in the headlines today, so sorry, that's what's coming to mind. But uh, <laughs> definitely when it comes to having those dialogues, it's really hard to when you have different starting points and you never have the opportunity to understand each other first. You just go in with your separate definitions and then you yell at each other about how they're wrong when you aren't even talking about the same thing. And I think very right. often that happens. And I think, again, you know, one of the things that drove this was the transgender issue and, and saying, you know, what is a woman? That's a huge question. What is a man? Because right now the left will say a woman is, is someone that identifies as a woman. And then the right will say, well, you can't use a word to define itself. And then all of a sudden we're at a place where it's like, okay, one side provides one definition for the word and the other side provides a definition that can't really be refuted, but definitely doesn't agree with the other side. So how can you have any further conversation until you find a common ground where, where the one word that is the primary point of contention here has the same definition, you know? Oh, for sure. And uh, funny enough, I feel like I, I learned about not using the word in the definition back in like first grade. So I'm wondering if maybe some people need to go back to first grade or just skip that day. I don't know. I'm just trying to be funny at this point. <laughs> it, and, and that is funny. That's funny <laughs> to me. But I, I don't know if I'm allowed to laugh. We may get kicked off of oh. Apple and Spotify if we laugh oh, too hard at that on. joke, Tommy. That's all I'm saying. Not, not with Elon. Up. Elon's got to buy it all. <laughs> I, and I have to say that, too. There have been so many wonderful memes since this all happened about Elon just buying something and fixing the problem. So I saw, you know, whatever it is, I, I saw one just about I-25 through Colorado. He's just going to buy I-25 and he's going to finish up this dang construction that's been going on for, you know, 15 years or whatever it is. Uh, and I, I definitely appreciate that. And here's a fun fact for you. Uh, Elon Musk, with the money he spent on tw Twitter, could have bought 23 NFL teams. Wow. If that gives you any idea of the scope of this investment. Uh, it was approximately uh, one-fifth of his net worth at the time. And it's very interesting because if funding gets pulled, he owes Twitter a billion dollars if, if it falls through. I've, I've looked into some of the background there. If Twitter decides to try to take a different bidder, if they find an, an alternative buyer, then they would owe him a billion dollars. There's, there's all these details. But for, I think it's going to go through, and I think there will be positive changes, and I think it will uh, fundamentally change the trajectory of free speech in this country and how it relates to the rest of the world. Because that's another thing that most people weren't talking about enough is that um, you know, the the Saudi royal family was a large owner in Twitter. And so when you, mm. you know, there were a lot of people that when Donald Trump got kicked off said, well, this, the Iranian mullahs who are calling for, you know, death to America and that Jews shouldn't exist, they're still on Twitter, you know, 
after the invasion here, Vladimir Putin still has access to Twitter. You know, what did, exactly did Donald Trump do that is so unforgivable that all these other evil people in the world uh, haven't done? And that's where it becomes kind of clear that it was very partisan and it was very American politics. And some of the other influencers in the world may have something to do with how speech is regulated in America through these special, uh, you know, huge platforms like Google and, and Facebook and things like that. And it's like, hey, maybe we need to take a real good look at all of that and say, America has been different since the beginning. You know, are we, are we still different? Do we still have access to those freedoms that allow us to be who we are? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up was going back to the, you know, the battle of ideas, right? Let the best speech win. What's interesting about that, right? Let's, let's pretend that that is always what happens, right? The best speech wins, right? People argue, discuss, and, you know, whoever has the better idea is the winner. If that is true, who would want to be the one censoring speech, it would seem to me the people with the worse ideas, the people that can't have a better argument than others, would probably be the ones trying to eliminate speech and censor. Yeah. Yeah, that sure seems to be the case. I wish I had it pulled up. I don't right now. But there was a pretty good rant by, I think, an MSNBC contributor talking about, well, if, if Elon buys Twitter and we don't know what's going on, then, you know, he could just use that to stop the reach of a certain political party's candidates. And, you know, he could use that to deplatform, you know, someone that he didn't want to get elected and stop their reach and, and, and just went on this spiel about how it's so dangerous for one person to be in control because then, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so he was tattling on himself. I mean, it's not him, right? <laughs> He's just some you know schmuck at MSNBC. Yeah. But yes, he was tattling on the whole plan of how these social media companies have worked in uh, lockstep with the legacy media, in lockstep with the deep state, in order to get their you know agenda items uh, pushed through. And so it I sounds think like he kind of made an argument for you know, free speech on the platform. Yeah. And Brian Stelter said, had a, had a pretty good quote, which was, well, if, if you get invited to a party and you're told that there's just no rules, you know, some people are going to be excited about that, but a lot of people are going to say, well, I don't really want to go to that party anymore. And it's like, yeah, Brian, but this is just words. You know, it's like, we're, we're only, t <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, if there are no rules at a party where you're in person, and that no rules means, you know, no rules. That's that's a lot of things. But if no rules means you can just say anything, you know, is it really? Be <laughs> careful, okay? Words are violence. All right, Paul? Settle is, down. And that is fundamentally what this conversation <laughs> is actually about. Because that has been a claim that has been made continually that words are violence, words are violence, words are violence. And that means, well, what's the appropriate response to violence? violence and self-defense right so if you say the wrong words that means i can hit you because you're a nazi or you're a fascist or whatever it is you know that's that's how we get 
<laughs> I can't believe I'm not bringing this up. That's how we get Will Smith walking up and smacking the crap out of Chris Rock at the Oscars. Because oh. speech is violence. You can't call my wife G.I. Jane. I'm going to beat the crap out of you for that. Oh. That's an interesting conversation, right? Because he's a comedian on a show making, like, not even a bad joke. And I don't know. I, I feel I feel like I can't. No, I mean, I'm still a Will Smith fan, but maybe not as much, right? Like, Oh, are you? I'm so sorry, man. Will Smith has been taking a lot of L's in a row, you know? Well, I just mean, like, his older movies, I enjoy some of those. Inde- Independence but... Day is one of my favorite 90s movies. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I, I'm never going to not be an, a Will Smith movie fan from back in the day and even the fresh that's what i mean i don't i don't mean him specifically i just feel bad like i want him to be one of those actors that i'm a huge fan of for his whole career like i mean you if i get samuel l jackson in any movie at any time i'm excited about it he's (laughs) he's a great actor well of course and and i would want the same for will smith but it's like nope instead you just are embodying this personality and it's pretty unfortunate and the other thing is chris rock i can't believe we're talking about this chris rock has a has like a a disability where he doesn't understand um body language and that was something that he had talked about and you know i don't remember if it was oh really yeah but like i mean if you watch him as as will smith's walking up there he's kind of like laughing and smiling and like what's what's going on here uh and then he just gets and people talk about it being staged I i don't personally really believe that but yeah he, he couldn't read the body language is, is most likely the truth of the situation. And, and that's something he struggled with for a long time. So I found that fascinating. Wow. Yeah, definitely interesting. But yeah, I mean, uh, going back to, to our discussion, the idea that words are violence is, is ridiculous, right? Violence is violence. And those two should not be compared, right? The, the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Right. Like, I, I don't know what it is about our culture that people get so upset over what people say. And it's like, again, just go and block that account. You don't have to listen to these people. There, there was an interesting one. Uh, I think it was Donald Trump got sued for while he was still on Twitter blocking users. And oh, it be and the court ruled that he wasn't allowed to do that as a publicly elected figure interesting i find that really interesting too so i think i agree with you on the sticks and stones portion of things and i think the the reason the people that say words are violent say it is because if words are just words and that means the words being said to them they need to engage with intellectually they don't have the appropriate tools to back up what they believe so in order for their worldview to be consistent they need to tell themselves that when this person says this thing that undermines my fundamental belief, maybe about myself, that has to be an act of violence because no one else can undermine, you know, me. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that. And like we talked about in the Disney episode, with a higher number of people identifying as one of these new newer identities, like whether it's, it's just queer or transgender, those people will fundamentally not feel comfortable in most situations and of course i'm not saying all situations there will always be people that will be willing to sit down and have the conversation and engage intellectually and thank goodness for that 
but a high proportion of them will say, no, you can't disagree with me about this because this is who I am. So what you're saying is just violence. And, and, that's, and that's where I think a lot of the division is coming from right now. Is that something that's crossed your mind before? Uh, I mean, not in, not in like a large way, but just uh, snippets here and there. Mm-hmm. Well, Tommy, we are approaching an hour now. And I know that it has been a long day for both of us, I think. So I want to wrap us up. But what do we have going on next? Uh, we know what book we're reading. You want to tell the people? Yes. So I mentioned it on our bonus episode last week where we did the second part of Mere Christianity. But we will be reading Man's Search for Meaning. I'm trying to think of the author. But I don't have it in front of me. So, yes. Victor Frankel. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, this was a, a man who went through the concentration camps during the Holocaust in World War II and uh, his journey. Do you think that he would think that words are violence? <laughs> no, <laughs> I do not think he would. I don't think so either. Uh, it's really, it's it's so interesting to me. We have two now books in a row written by people that were alive and thinking about ideas in the World War II era. And then to take them and try to get out the big ideas and translate them into an applicable, you know, way for people to take it forward in their lives in 2022 has been fun and interesting. But it's also, to me, it really shows the shocking cultural change that we've gone through in that time. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Just the, I mean, even just the way things are spoken about. It's very different, and it's it's odd to see how far we've changed. It is, and I personally, though, uh, still believe in a very bright future, and I think a lot of that will have to do with Elon giving us some some interesting, fun tools. And do you plan on? I'm sorry to just we're wrapping <laughs> up. I'm just spitballing here. Do you want to buy a Tesla? Is that is that something it's you on like my to vision have in your life? Board. I would love to have a Tesla. <laughs> it is on your vision board. Which at which which model? Oh, I. I'm not, I'm not that detailed into knowing. Oh, you can't tell me you've never gone to Tesla's website and built your little car. I did not know I could do that, but now you've you've uh, booked the rest of my night. So, <laughs> I love it. All right, well, it was great talking to you, Tommy. Uh, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow us on Instagram, our account is brace.22. And if you want to send us an email, our email address is brace22 at protonmail.com. We kindly ask that if you got anything out of this episode, you learned something or thought that some of our conversation was insightful, please pass this on to someone that you think could benefit from listening. We are relying on you to pass this on via word of mouth, and we appreciate every single referral. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll talk to you next time.